Good morning, good morning, good morning, Lake House Church. This is the day the Lord has made. That's right. Can you imagine our first day in heaven when we wake up? I'm going to know everybody who's been to Lake House Church because we're just, they're going to be the ones saying, this is the day the Lord has made and we're rejoicing and we're going to live forever here. So I'll tell you, there's not going to, and once we're in heaven, there's not going to be any more sighing or dying or crying. It'll be a place of happiness. It'll be visiting just like what you all got to do now, except with people that we've loved, people that we've read about, people we've wanted to spend time with. So I'm looking forward to that day. You know, today we're continuing our, our, our message, and today it's from vision to victory. And I'm going to be taking a very common passage, probably a story when I mention the character's name. You're going to think you know what I'm talking about. But actually, I'm going to twist it a little bit, and we're going to start at the very beginning of a story. And not where 99.9% of the preachers will preach from with his story. But we're going to be talking about also discovering our passion. Discovering our passion. God has been placing in me that we need as a body of Christ to have passion. And I'm not talking the dating kind of passion. I'm talking about passion for other people. You know, there's times whenever you see a situation and you, you're looking at the situation and you're thinking, you know what, somebody ought to do something about this situation. And inside your spirit, you know something is wrong or something is broken and you think that there should be a better way. You know, I applaud people that are going through the foster care program. Because they're seeing something that's broken. They're seeing lives that have been affected by mistakes of other people. And they're going in saying, I'm opening up my home and I want these, these children to come in and, and I want to be stability in their lives. And during that time, I want to share Christ with them. But you know, it takes a lot to have somebody living in your home constantly. There are also people that you'll read about that uh, feed the children organization out of Oklahoma. And it all started from a missions trip when he saw hungry children just begging for a nickel so they could eat that day and thinking about how much food we in America waste. And some started snapping inside thinking, you know what, here is need, here is abundance. How do I get these two worlds to connect? And that is having a passion. We also see people and we see neighborhoods Believe it or not, and Ashton was joking with me because I'm watching more HGTV than I ever have before. And I would have swore I'd never watch its home garden stuff. But you know what I love about that is that they are going into a neighborhood now. It's called Curb Appeal. And they pick the worst house on the block. So if these people knock on your door, it's not a compliment. Okay, I want you to know they picked the worst home in the block. And they've said, if we go in and we fix this, we'll make a curb appeal. I mean, they tear up your yard. They put in new landscaping, they do everything, and then they say, now, can we start your neighbor's house, and can we start doing another neighbor, and another neighbor, because they realize that that will build their community. And, and as you see these people, a lot of them have never even talked with their neighbors before. And it takes a camera crew to come in and say, hey, have you talked to your neighbor? Because we're going to do this all together and it's going to improve your, your resale value. It's all free of charge. It's all free labor. Let us come in and do that. But I've been watching because I love watching people's character. I love to see the way people respond to certain things. But HGTV is going in and making a difference into these neighborhoods. We're going into areas especially like even in our own workplace or our school. We are surrounded by hurting people. I want you to know that. We are surrounded with hurting people. If you don't know hurting people, 
you haven't taken your eyes off of the mirror lately. Okay? Because the world is surrounded by hurting people. And there's times when you see these people and you think, Lord, there is only a way that they could experience the peace that I have through a relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's only a way that I could show them a marriage that's successful, because everyone around them is experiencing divorce. And did you know that divorce is contagious? It is. It's wicked and it's contagious because what happens is if all of your friends are going through it, all of a sudden your ability to start conceiving it starts going up. That's why Chris and I don't even use the D word. Even when we're mad, nothing like that, you never throw it out as a threat because once it takes root, it starts growing. So we see people that have passion because they see a problem. I read about a gentleman in, in Atlanta, Georgia that was taking inner-city children to weddings on Saturdays. And I thought, why would you punish inner-city children like that? <laughs> Kristen knows I just do not like going to weddings on Saturday. I do some of them, but I don't like going to them because it's like Saturday's my one day just to, 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 to wear t-shirts, shorts, do nothing, mow the yard, right, Karen? You know, just do all this stuff. Well, the point being, though, is he realized that these inner city children had never been to a wedding before. And if they've never been to a wedding before, how do they understand the concept of marriage? How do they understand the covenant with God? How are they understanding the power of commitment? Because in their society, it was come and go. You hooked up for a while, then you unhooked. And whatever the case be, that was just your life. So it was important for this individual to start taking inner city children into marriages and then talking with them about the importance of staying pure until that day and the power of agreement and unity. I love when people see a problem that we've all overlooked and thought, that's a very simple solution. I can take kids to a wedding. I mean, I'm sure people, the bride and groom, would love you bringing in 20, 30 inner city children, but you know what? Those who really have a passion wouldn't mind it at all. Because not only is God going to do something in that wedding, it's going to, in that marriage, it's also going to show these little children, hey, this is the way that God intended it for, to be. So it's important that we see. So many times, I myself have said, if only would somebody do something. If only someone would step up. Maybe today, God has you here because you're that somebody. Maybe today He wants to take you from a vision to victory in your life. Now I know some people will automatically think, oh pastor, that, that can't be me because I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the flexibility in my schedule. I don't have the resources to do that. I don't have the knowledge to be able to do this. See, automatically our flesh starts coming up with multiple reasons why we can't do something that's bigger than ourselves. Have you ever realized that when God starts putting something in your heart, your flesh is the first in line to say, can I remind you that we don't have the money to do this or we don't have the time in our schedule? Do you, think what, do you know what other people are going to think about you if you go out and do this? And there's times where I know it's my flesh. I'm thinking, that is not of God. Mark, come on, get in alignment. Because all of a sudden negative thoughts start coming in any time that God is wanting to challenge or move people to do something greater. Sometimes I have to ask myself, Mark, is it that I, I don't, or I can't, or I won't? Because those are three important different statements. A lot of times when we choose not to get involved in helping other people, 
it's because we just won't. It had nothing to do with not being able to can't. It's won't. And we're going to be talking about a, a character in the Bible today. You know, there's sometimes when we see what could be in a situation, God is placing that vision in our heart. It's true. God places visions in our hearts of what He would like for that situation to be. When you're looking at a group of individuals, there's sometimes when I've seen a situation and it hasn't moved me. And yet, then when I get on Yahoo or, or any of the social networking, all of a sudden everybody's up in arms about this situation. And I've even said, God, why didn't that move my heart? And then there's times I could be driving along and I see a situation that truly affects me, that no one else caught. And all of a sudden I'm saying, Lord, that's just wrong. That's not right. And all of a sudden it stays with me. Have you ever had a, a song stick in your head all day long? You know, it could be a goofy song, but you know, and you, you're singing it all day long. You're going through work and you're singing that in. That is the way that the Holy Spirit moves in my life. Because I'll read a scripture and all of a sudden it's just like the Holy Spirit says, we're going to play that scripture over and over and over and over again in your life. And then after a while, I'm like, Lord, I can't get that scripture out of my mind. What, what, what are you trying to show me? What am, I, am I supposed to study it? What? And when passion comes in, sometimes it's those things that just stay with you over and over and over again. Not that it's on the news every day. Not if it's CNN covering it live. It's, it's inside of you. It's not outside of you. It becomes inside of you. And you're saying, if somebody can make a difference in this situation... We're going to be looking today at Nehemiah. And if you have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 1. And we're going to be looking about how Nehemiah saw, heard, and saw something that would be better. And I told you earlier that normally every message that's ever preached on Nehemiah is how Nehemiah went and repaired the walls. I've sat through many, many, many of those scriptures. We're looking at the calling of Nehemiah today in discovering our passion, going from vision to victory. To understand this, we have to know that all of this story that we're about to read happened about 600 years before Christ. Children of Israel are taken into exile, captivity, by the Babylonians. I still think in our Western culture we cannot comprehend what it means for another group of people to come in, take us away from our homes, our lifestyles, our work, our families take us to their land and put us into servanthood to it. I think sometimes we really have to grasp what's going on in this situation to fully understand the scriptures that are being shared. What happens though is when the exile happens about 70 years later, some of the children of Israel are allowed to go back home to Jerusalem to start repairing the city. 50 years after that, some more are allowed to go with the prophet um, Ezra to go back and start rebuilding the walls. But for many, many years, and now we're about 13 years later past that, when Nehemiah starts hearing about this. So we're at 445 B.C. And over the last 13 years, not much has been happening. And so this is where we're going to pick up with Nehemiah, if you have your Bibles with you. Nehemiah 1. We're going to start with verses 2 and 3, but we're going to be going all the way through verse 11. Nehemiah says this, one of my brothers, Hanai, arrived with some men from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had survived captivity and about Jerusalem. 
And they told me, those who survived captivity are in the providence, are in providence. They are enduring serious troubles and being insulted. The wall of Jerusalem has been broken down and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, first you've got to take a look at Nehemiah. Nehemiah is just like any one of us. He is going through life, right? He's going through life and all of a sudden he hears about a situation. He's just asking regular questions. In fact, Nehemiah is very much just like you and I. He's going through life. He's asking, hey, how's the family? What have you heard? What's going on back home? What's going on at work? Whatever the situation. You run into an old neighbor. How's the old neighborhood? Whatever the case may be, Nehemiah is just going through life. And all of a sudden, he hears about a situation. And he hears that that situation isn't good. And he knows that it's been many years that this has been going on. And all of a sudden, he starts to become troubled by what he hears. It upsets him so deeply. Now, others could have been standing around Nehemiah and heard that exact same message and received nothing from it. Do you realize that? There's sometimes, have you ever been in a conversation where what they're speaking is so important to you and everyone else could care less? Seriously, there are times when God positions you to hear certain things and say, this is what I want you to hear. And it's not about everyone else around you. It's not about what's happening within their lives. God impassions and burdens us to do different things. We have to grasp this. This is very important. God does not call all of us to do the exact same thing. Because if not, we'd get pretty good at one thing and everything else in our world would be in disarray. Do you understand? Jack LaLanne was great at, at aerobics and, and, and working out. Uh, he just passed away, what, about a year ago within the year? At nine... Did he make, make a hundred? I read, though, that even in his 90s, he was able to do 1,023 push-ups in his 90s within five minutes. That was his goal, just to do this. I'm going to tell you, I could take five months and do 1,023 push-ups, but not in five minutes, Okay. But he was called to passion to get people off the couch and to start working out. I remember even as a very young kid when black and white TV was there, and man, there was Jack Lane just working out, you know, and we loved to watch him. It didn't do us any good to watch, but you know, that was his passion. Come on, people, work out. And then he got into juicing. Man, juice will change your life. Now, what if God says, I want everyone to just be passionate about our bodies to be buff. I mean, we'd all be bodybuilders. You know, Venice Beach would just be where the bums would lay out because everyone else would be buff. We'd go look at the bums, right? Think about that for a minute. Okay, so the point being is this. Okay. If God called all of us to be bodybuilders, we would do that one thing really well. But have you noticed that not everybody in this world is in shape? Not everybody in this world is athletic. Not everyone else in this world can, can sing like Dino or play the piano like David, right? Because He's made us all unique. He's made us all with different gifts and callings. And when we discover that passion in our lives and we start walking in His ways, all of a sudden we become that strength that He's looking for in the body of Christ. But we're also going to find out later what happens when we ignore that calling and that passion in our lives. So what we're seeing here is that God has now came into Nehemiah's life. He's going through life just regular, and he hears about a problem. So I've got a couple steps I want to talk to you about discovering your passion. First, 
point is, how do I discover my passion? Prayer. Prayer. Where are my amen people today? Come on, where's Sherry? Somebody go get Sherry, bring her back in here, because I'm, I'm missing her. Come on, Sean. Where's Shauna? I'm going to go preach in the lobby, okay, because... Yes, I need my amen people. Okay. Man, I'm, I'm putting some points out here, and it's like, you hear the crickets chirping. Okay. Well, just tap on the glass or something when it's an amen, okay? All right. Appreciate that. So first we need to understand what passion is, okay? Now I want to tell you, for, I joked earlier, passion is not about you are so in love with this person. I'm not talking about that passion today. Also, since Ranger season started this week, it could be passion about baseball. I have met people that are extremely passionate about baseball. I would mention football, but I'm on a fast from that right now. So let's focus on baseball right now, okay? And there are people that will travel to Surprise, Arizona and camp out. They know everything about the players. They know their families and their stats and what they did 12 years ago, what they had for breakfast that morning. They focus themselves on these Ranger players, right? Have you ever met one of them? And man, to get an autograph is all that they long for. Oh, look at all my autographs. Look at everything that I have. There's nothing wrong with that passion. But what I really define as passion is the change in other people's lives. You see, because we can have a physical passion and we can have a spiritual passion. And it's, sometimes it's very easy to find our physical passion. I love cars. I love sports. I love this. I love money. Whatever that is. But that is just a physical passion. Your spiritual passion comes when all of a sudden you're realizing you're able to make a change in other people's lives. Because I've got some news for you today. God does not care what's in your checkbook. God does not care the title that's sitting on your desk. God cares about how many people you're bringing up to a new level with Him. Do you understand? Our clothing, our attire, our physical physique does not impress God in any way. But when He sees someone going around making a change everywhere they go, all of a sudden now, that becomes a hero to God. And I think we're going to be a surprise one day in heaven what God saw as heroes and what we thought were heroes. You see, God looks on the inward, man looks on the outward. So there are times when we think, oh, this is the way it would be to be a spiritual hero. And God's saying, Mark, you have no idea the hidden spiritual heroes that I have that are in inner city areas, that are impoverished in counties or, or countries right now. People who are in a work, a place that is so far below their pay grade just so that they could be an influence. Those are heroes because they are making a change. So what I'm talking about today is not just having a passion, but having a spiritual passion to say, God, how do I become successful with you? Because you know what? Man has this way of success. We've seen that in Hollywood, and that just leads to nothing. You can pay Charlie Sheen $2.5 million per episode if not bringing him peace. Word. Okay? I'm just going to tell you that right there. So if you said, Pastor, we're going to pay you $2.5 million per message you speak, you know what? Eventually, I said eventually, it's not going to make me happy. <laughs> Just kidding. Because our happiness is never going to be bought. Our happiness is never going to, we're never going to purchase happiness. 
Happiness is something we experience with walking with God and fulfilling the passion He has in our lives. There are a lot of miserable people out there and the reason why they're miserable is because A, they haven't given their life over to Jesus Christ and secondly, they haven't found that passion that Christ has placed inside of them. And I'm going to tell you that every one of you has a passion placed inside of you. There is no one here that gets a kitchen pass on today's message because God created every one of you individually. God created you with gifts and talents and abilities and callings. And He said, this is my son, this is my daughter, this is who I love. And I have them in Arlington or Grand Prairie or Mansfield or Pantigo, town of Pantigo. Right, Bill? And, and we're here. And you're not just going through life for your own self. God has us here to make a difference and to discover our passion. And how do we find that? We find that in prayer. We see something and think, this should be different. It could be so much better for people. And that becomes a burden. And this is what starts out with Nehemiah. He hears about the wall being in disarray. He hears about family members and his people being insulted, feeling vulnerable. That's not kingdom living right there. And he starts praying about this. He discovers this. He's burdened about it. What's amazing is that discovering your passion is not about you going out and looking for you, for it. Your passion is going to discover you. Okay? You can't say, okay, this week, Pastor, I'm going to go out and find my passion. No. God is going to bring that passion to you when you least expect it. You could be in the workroom, the classroom. You could be jogging. You could be on the treadmill. And all of a sudden, you're going to see something and that passion fires up inside of you. And all of a sudden, you're saying, that is not right. It's so, ooh, that's what Pastor Mark preached on. Maybe I'm that someone. Do you see? And that's how God is moving. But to have that experience, we've got to be walking with God. Because when we're not walking with God, those passions will be falling and it won't matter to us because all we're like is, is my hair good enough? Is this, does this shirt, you know, because I just, you know, and do you like these $500 jeans? And do you... What? No, I'm just kidding. But this is what their thoughts are thinking. God's showing them a passion and all they're thinking about is themselves. Or what's for dinner? Or I've just got to serve my family. Man, my family's my whole world. Yes, your family's important, but God has a family too. And He just doesn't like for us to take out 35 years till the oldest gets out. You're not saying till 35, but till the oldest gets out before we decide we're going to discover our passion. But see, sometimes we take those passes. Oh, hey, I've, I've got a toddler. I can't... I, Forget the world. I just I want to sleep. I understand that. But you know what? God still created you with passion inside. Don't ever let that passion die. Spend that time preparing for walking in that passion. Because what we're going to see here is that as Nehemiah is thinking about this and praying about this, he's spending time in prayer. Nehemiah, now the next verse we're going into is verse 4. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and cried, and I mourned for days, and I continued to fast and pray to the God of heaven. When we are walking with God, we are constantly being prepared for the passion that God's about to reveal to us. My whole journey with God is a preparation for what He's called me to do. 
And if I'm not walking with God, then I'm not understanding the passion that He's called me to do. So we must walk. We must spend time in prayer. Man, when we hear things about mourning for days, the only time that we as a society think we'll ever mourn is the passing of a loved one. And if they know Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, that's a time of rejoicing. Yes, we will miss them. But we fully, in the Western culture, don't understand the mourning and fasting. Fasting is powerful when you are seeking after God. John tells me, man, he fasts, was it one day, almost every week. And it's through that time that God just reveals so much more because He's saying, God, you are more important than Arby's. You're more important than anything else. If it's fasting television, if it's fasting the Internet, if it's fasting Facebook, what you're saying to God is you are more important than everything else that I'd be replacing this time with you. And Nehemiah hears this and it affects him. And I still think that other people heard the same story, but they weren't praying and they weren't fasting about what they had just heard. Nehemiah dives into prayer. And I want us to look at his prayer because I think that we can learn some elements about this. You see, Nehemiah just didn't say, God, this is bad. Do something about it. Now I joke because sometimes I feel like my prayers are that simplistic. And when God was wanting me to call to go deeper into a situation, I'm just saying, God, that's bad. The people that are dying in Japan, that's bad, God. Hungry children, bad. People dying going to hell, bad. And he goes, Mark, I know it's bad. What are you going to do about it? Oh, I don't know, God, but this is just bad. I don't think he needs us here on earth as reporters to tell him what's bad. None of you are H&N reporters. Heavenly News Network, okay? You know, I'm just here to tell God what's good, what's bad. He does not need us to do this. But our prayers sometimes just go around saying, that's bad. That's bad. See that marriage? That's getting destroyed. See that guy doing drugs? Bad. See that kid? He's, he's curled up on cocaine. Bad. Well, thank you, reporter. But what are we... Children of the Most High God, with a risen Savior inside of us, supposed to do about that? At least start praying for those people. It may not be that you're going to help that recovering addict, but I'll tell you what, you can be a powerful prayer force for them. So it's important that we stop reporting and start praying about what we're seeing in this world. Because I'm going to tell you this, and I, I, I normally try to make my messages very upbeat because I, I, I'm a glass-half-full kind of guy all the time. Our government is broke. Our welfare system is broken. Our school system is broken. Our society is immoral. There is so much bad out there. We just don't need to go around pointing at it. Amen. We need to be a solution. Amen. And you may say, Pastor, you're preaching to 60-something people. Look what, Nehemiah, look what uh, Gideon did with 300. Okay? Took on 135,000 people. That's last week's message if you weren't here. The important thing about this is that God is calling us to do something supernatural. 
man, I could have just been going over the 23rd Psalms, one of my favorite passages, saying, hey, we, we need to be by still waters. Don't you all love still waters? All in favor of still waters, raise your hand. There'd be some hands going up. All for white water rafting. You know, and it could be like, what did he talk to us about? Oh, about still waters. It was really good. And there's nothing wrong with the 23rd Psalms. I love that passage. But man, God's been stirring in my heart to mark, help them find their passion, their purpose. That they don't just exist through life, they go through life with purpose. Because I see a lot of just existing going on. Maintaining the status quo. And as I've said many, many, many times, I don't want this year just what I got last year. And last year was a good year, but I don't want to just repeat it. Well, I just want a a 2% return on interest over the above capitalization. No, 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 no. That's not what I want. I'm saying, God, I want so much more of you. I want you to be revealed in this nation, in this country. I have personally been praying that there would be a cultural revolution. I am tired of profanity in the movies. I may be the only person out there, but I cry and weep when I hear about all the profanity in a PG movie now. The body of Christ should be doing something about that. Oh, it's bad, Mark. Yeah, it's bad. How do we take on the movie industry? Do you know how many multi-billion dollars that is? Amen. Don't shoot the messenger. Two. We need to recognize God for who He is. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5. I said, Lord, God of heaven, great and awe-inspiring God, You have faithfully kept Your promise and You show mercy to those who love You and obey Your commandments. This is Nehemiah's prayer. And I believe that the essential elements of this prayer is first, we always have to give God glory. We always must give God glory when we come to Him in prayer. Praise and thanksgiving are things that need to be part of our culture and not just a holiday. Psalms 100 verse 4 says this, Enter His gates with a song of thanksgiving. Come into His courts with a song of praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. Think about your prayers this week. How have you approached the throne room of God? God, this is bad. God, this is bad. This is bad. Fix it, God. Fix it. Send your heavenly duct tape and fix this situation. How many of you, though, are going to the throne room saying, God, you have created the heavens and the earth, and nothing is too difficult for you. Father, I know that you can move in the hearts of men and women. I thank you that this situation, God, with the help of just the the, the people realizing your hearts, Open our hearts to understand Your will, God. And when we start praying prayers like that, God starts hearing because He's seeing that first we're recognizing who He is, the power and ability that He has. You know, sometimes I don't pray, oh, mystic spirit of wind and sun and rain out there who may know of my name. You laugh, but there are prayers on the internet like that. And I don't pray to some ambiguous spirit that just... I'm praying to my God. I know the names of God. And even when I'm praying, I bring those prayers in. And I'm reminding Him that He is my healer. He's my Jehovah Rapha. He's my Jehovah Nisi, my my banner. 
He's my Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And when I'm praying, I'm praying and I'm giving Him praise for who He is. If you are not seeing results to your prayer, I highly recommend that you look at the Bible how prayers are being offered into God and start giving God the praise, give God the glory. And even if you don't get to your request, God knows your heart. Instead of a 10-minute prayer on how you're not going to be able to feed your family this week, why don't you spend 10 minutes just giving God praise for being your provider and seeing the bigger blessings that come more than groceries? God's blessing is not always in the form of monetary. God's blessing comes in the health of our bodies, the relationships we experience, the peace, the good night's sleep that we can have. Those are all blessings of the Most High God. Knowing our passion brings a peace into our spirit. I'm going to tell you, knowing your passion is going to bring a peace into your spirit. And there are restless people out there because they haven't ever figured out why God created them. They'll go through the whole list of what they aren't. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a worship leader. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. But I'll tell you what. They'll they'll serve, move boxes, stack chairs, do whatever you need. They've got such a servant's heart. And God is saying, this may be your passion to be a servant leader. Not to be a powerful leader, to be a servant leader. To me, a servant leader is more powerful than a powerful leader. Do you understand? Servant leadership is highly undervalued in our society. We recognize who God is. We see this also in Acts chapter 4, verses 24, when Peter and John are being released from prison because they prayed for somebody, that person received healing, and then they got hauled before the religious leaders. And this is what their prayer said. Acts 4, verse 24. And when they heard it, They lifted their voices together to God and they said, Sovereign Lord, You who made the heavens and earth and the sea and everything in them. What was the first thing they did? They glorified God by recognizing every aspect of Him. God who created the sea and everything in it. Do you think we comprehend the depths of the sea and every animal that's ever been created? Do you think our, our human minds can even fathom this? God who created the heavens and the galaxies and the universe. Do you think you could sit down and write a paper and explain everything there is about every galaxy that God has created and the depth and fully understand it? We really don't. You know, sometimes it's like me telling you, bluebell vanilla is just good. That's a very simple statement. But sometimes you have to experience bluebell vanilla... You know what I'm craving. Bluebell vanilla, just to experience the goodness of it, the smoothness of it, the creaminess of it, especially on a warm day. Throw some cobbler underneath that. Mm. Now, I can tell you about it, but once you experience it, you have a whole different revelation of it. Because if you've never had bluebell homemade vanilla and good cobbler, these are just words. And until we see the awesomeness of God, everything is just words to us. We're trying to fathom God's bigness. We're trying to fathom His goodness. We're trying to fathom His mercy. We're trying to fathom forgiveness. Because everything we gauge is what we can do. And we know that we're limited when it comes to mercy and forgiveness. 
Man, it's something that I have to deal with every day. I married a well of mercy, and it just comes naturally for her. But I've had to learn mercy. So sometimes my limitations is based upon what I know. And God, who created the heavens and the earth, this is what the apostles were praying. They glorified Him. They gave us a pattern. Even Jesus, when He taught us to pray, said in Matthew 6, 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Jesus didn't say, when you pray, pray this. Father, it's bad. It's bad. It's bad. And point to things. No, this is not what Jesus taught us to pray. First, recognize God who He is. And all power and authority. Because once you understand more and more of who He is, you're going to understand more and more of who you are through Him. The more you recognize about Him, the more you'll recognize who you are through Him. I am not who I was 30 years ago. Austin and I were having a conversation, and he was asking me about when I was a teenager. I said, Austin, you wouldn't have liked me as a teenager. I was very selfish, very sharp-witted, very critical, loved to debate. My goal was to tear them down and then leave them in ashes. That's how good I was. I used to, and I went into debate. I was a debate coach. I haven't debated since because it was like an old side of me that says, no, that, that old man is dead, okay? But through grace and mercy and forgiveness, I am becoming less of me and more of Him. Okay? And that's the way we have to approach God. Recognizing His holiness. Putting us in the mindset of who He is. And that on our own, we can't accomplish this. The next thing we see in Nehemiah is in verses 6 and 7, still in chapter 1. And Nehemiah says, Open your eyes and pay close attention with your ears to what I, your servant, am praying. I am praying to you day and night about your servants, the Israelites. I confess the sins that we, as, that we Israelites have committed against you, as well as the sins that my father's family and I have committed. Verse 7, we have done you great wrong. We haven't obeyed your commandments, laws, regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. That prayer is applicable today in our society. We should be praying for our society. We have sinned against you. We have turned our backs. We have cursed your name. We don't deserve the blessings that you continue to pour out on this country. To be used by God, we must be clean vessels. Now you'll know that I didn't say sinless vessels. We must be clean vessels. Do you realize? Because what the law will always try to teach you is that you must be sinless. We are still in this world. We live in a filthy world. There's mud everywhere. When I was looking at this point, I was thinking about... There was an episode where the whole TV show was this kid was getting his school pictures taken that day. And every year he had gotten messed up by the time his class got their school pictures taken. So one year he just wanted to have a good school picture. And the entire class rallied around behind him and protected him through the lunchtime, through P.E. Everything was to protect just so that John could have a great school picture. And at the very end, 
somebody nails him with some mustard packet or something in the cafeteria. And he takes his picture, but he was more proudful that his whole class was working with him. And I see sometimes the body of Christ, we're going through this filthy world and we're trying to stay spotless, but there's just mud everywhere. There's sin everywhere. Just look at what's on TV. Just look at what's on the internet. Three clicks away and you're anywhere you want to be. God's not looking for sinless. He's looking for clean vessels. And how do we stay clean? We confess and we repent in a lifestyle. Do you understand? It's not something you just do on a Sunday night when God was moving, the music was great. It's living a lifestyle of confession and and repentance. Saying, God, and being specific about what we've done. Not just say, God, I've been bad. Forgive me. Will He honor that prayer? Yes. But when you say, God, I've had a problem with this or this. God, I lied today. And I know it grieves you when I lie, but, and I know there's never a convenient reason to lie. I lust today, Lord God. I coveted. We sometimes have to get the junk out of our lives. Oh, we don't want to confess. It was just easier to say, God, I was bad. And that kind of covers everything. We don't ever want to go into inventory of what we did. We just want a general blessing. (laughs) Right? So, when Nehemiah is coming in before God, he's saying, Lord, first I I ask for forgiveness for my country. And, And then I ask for forgiveness that my father's family and I have committed. He's going down the line asking for forgiveness. The great thing that we know is in 1 John 1.19, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the Word of God right there. That means there is no sin that you're going to be committing that is not forgivable. Oh, but Mark, what about blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? Let me tell you this. If you're even conscientious of blaspheming the Holy Spirit... You have not blasphemed them. Okay? I'm going to tell you that. Because, oh, I I blasphemed the Holy Spirit. No. The wickedness that would have to be in your heart, this would not even be a care or concern in in your world. Jesus purifies us from the sin that we commit in our lives and makes us clean. James 5.16 says this, The prayers of a righteous man or woman... I'm going to tell you that because I've met more prayer warriors that have been women than men, is powerful and effective. If we're going to move from having a vision to victory, we're going to have to live a lifestyle of confession and repentance. And we're going to have to be specific. Nehemiah acknowledged his wickedness and that they had not obeyed the Lord's commandments. And when we confess, we need to be specific. Point number four is remember God's promises. In Nehemiah, verses 8-10, through 10, we read this. Please remember what you told us through your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and continue to obey my commandments through your people, may be driven to the most distant point of the horizon, I will come and get you from there and bring you to the place where I chose to put my name. Verse 10. These are your servants and your people whom you have saved through your great power and your strong hand. Nehemiah is not reminding God of his promises. 
He's assuring God that I've read your word and this is your promises. You know what word I have to stand on no matter how bad our society is? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. That's the word I have to hold on to no matter what's happening in our society, no matter how bad profanity is getting, no matter what they're showing even in commercials, no matter what the situation is. Even when there seems to be wickedness and evil everywhere, Lord, You said, if my people who are called by Your name would humble themselves, humble us, Lord God. We're calling out to You right now. Then I believe that with God, all things are possible. And you'll see that I said all things because I'm quoting the Word of God, not some things. See, we don't serve a limited God. A limited God would have said, some things are possible with God. He said all. All covers everything. If I said, I'm going to pay all of your bills. No one even smiled over here. They must be the wealthy group. If I said, I'm going to pay all of your bills. Not some. Not your target charge account, which is only $7. No, all of your bills. Would you get excited about that? So if all things are possible with God, then that shows me that our society today can still be turned around. If we will humble ourselves and pray. We also see that Moses did this exact same thing in Moses chapter 32, verses 12 and 13. Moses is praying, he says, Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. Moses was even repeating back to God the promises. I've shared with you before that when I make a promise to my children, they somehow seem to remember that above everything else. But God, you, Dad, you said, Dad, you said that we're going to do this. Well, I meant before you die. No, you said we're going to do this. How come they forget everything else you tell them in life, but they can remember a promise like that? And when they're reminding me of my own words, I'm pretty much committed to that. I don't ask them, do you have that in writing? But technically I do. The Word of God's in writing. But that's not the relationship I have with my kids. Did you, did, did you get a notary to sign that about that Six Flags thing? Did, 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 did? No. They know their dad. And they know that when they remind dad and then tell mom, it's going to happen. <laughs> we won't even get into all that. Okay. But we need to know God's promises. The way that we get to know God's promises is we spend time in His Word. It has to be something you discover. Oh, no, I'm just going to buy a 32 CD of all of God's promises. Then you are missing something. You are missing something by being spoon-fed instead of going to the Word and reading about God's promises yourself. Because I'll tell you what, it may be in that moment that you're spending time in the Word that God invades your life and shows you the passion. Is a 32 CD on God's promises for your life good? Yes. But we've got to have more. And we've got to spend time in the Word of God. And you're going to learn more than just the 32 names because there's so much in the Word of God. 
You've got to become hungry and thirsty for it, more so than anything else. My fifth point is that we need to request specific help. Nehemiah 1.11 says, Lord, please pay attention to my prayer and to the prayers of all your other servants who want to worship your name. Please give me success today and make this, king, this man, King Xerxes, show me compassion. I was a cupbearer at the king at this time. If God has burdened your heart for something and given you a passion about it, and you're praying about it, and you're asking God, how could you use me? Then ask God to do it specifically. This prayer we read of Nehemiah, he prayed for three to four months before he approached the king. Three to four months he's praying. He's fasting. He's seeking. I'm, I'm imagining that every person he came in contact with, he was telling him about it. Have you ever met somebody who totally loves their grandkids and you cannot get out of a conversation without looking at those pictures? Have you? I mean, honestly, when somebody's really passionate, they're like, oh, did, did I tell you about what my son did or what my daughter did? Yes, 12 times. But let me tell you again, they got this on and they got this. See, when you're passionate about something, you're going to tell everybody about it. So I'm thinking that Nehemiah saying, did you hear about what's happening back there? It's horrific. And we have so much wealth and abundance here. We're a thousand miles away. Babylon was a thousand miles away. Okay? So time and distance wasn't the factor here. Nehemiah has come to the point of seeing that he is the one. Only if somebody would go do that. Only if someone... All of a sudden, this is the epiphany where he realizes, God's calling me to be that one. And he's going to need the support of the king. That scripture, real quickly, also in verse 11, I have prayed that many, many times. Look at all the different versions. It says, give me favor in the eyes of this man. This version says, give me success today with this man. Anytime you're going before your teacher, pray that prayer. Anytime you go before management at work, pray that prayer. Anytime that police officer walks up and taps on your glass and not for a social visit, say that prayer. You may be deserving of it, but I also believe in grace and mercy. Do you understand? Lord, give me favor in the presence of this man. Man, when I went in for job interviews, guess what my little prayer was? God, would you give me favor in the presence of this person? That's applying the Word. That's applying God's Word into my situation. Now, I didn't say, God, give me this job because maybe this is not the job that God wants you to have. Am I going to pray my will or God's will? So when I'm saying, Lord, give me favor in the presence of this man, sometimes favor comes in a door closing that we want it open. Maybe that person telling you no is what you needed to hear versus yes and misery pursuing that. So it's important that we understand. So Nehemiah has prayed. He's going to the king. And my last point as I close real quickly, don't let your position hinder you. It talks about here that I was a cupbearer to the king at this time. We have to understand in our Western culture what a cupbearer was. The king was king for life. And the only way for the king to be removed was to die. And, believe it or not, there were some in political powers that would like for the king to die. I know there's some... Never mind. I'm not, I'm not going to go there. Forgive me, God. Wait, I got... 
forgive me, God. I just had an awful thought. I confess. Remember, not sinless, just forgiven. Okay. Oh, where was I? Cup bearer. Yes. So there may be some people that want the king to die. So what he does is he goes through and he picks somebody that he trusts the most. Okay? Not somebody who's disposable, but he trusts the most. Because even though this person is going to be tasting the food before the king, you got to live in the palace. You got to eat the choicest foods. You probably were sitting in some very privy meetings that... that could not go beyond that throne room. Do you understand? It was a life of luxury. And because he had the king's trust, because you're not going to pick somebody who hated you. You know, I mean, I'm going to pick Dino. Say, Dino, I know you're not going to be happy about this, but I need you to taste the food before I do it. But it's because I love you, and I know you would never want to see me dead. Do you understand? The cupbearer's goal was to protect the king. And God placed... Nehemiah at that point with a, the purpose to go before the powers that could make this happen. God brings people into your lives that can help you fulfill the passion in your life. It's not about you. It's about the people that God has surrounded you with that are encouraging you to say, yes, you can go do this. What do you need? John, what do you need? Do you need money? Then we'll take care of that. Do you need time off from work? I can make a phone call. Do you need a kitchen pass from Laverne? We'll pray about that, okay? The point being, though, is that's what the king is telling Nehemiah when we read through. Because everything Nehemiah requested, the king gave. His only request is, well, when are you coming back? And if Dino was my cupbearer, I'd be saying, Dino, you know, man, I need you. When, when would you be coming back? There was a love relationship there. This was not just, I checked in at 8, I checked out at 5, and I hated my job. God placed him at a point where he could be near a decision maker. And we have to realize that when God is calling us, God is preparing us, God will fulfill the needs. We just have to eliminate the excuses. If you know what your passion is today, and you've said, it's too big for me. I have other responsibilities. I'm too busy. I'm not equipped to do that. There are much more talented people that could do this. You know, God, it's just going to take too much time. I mean, I'm, I'm okay about serving part-time, but man, that, that thing's, that, that's going to be dripping into my weekends and TV time. and I just can't commit to that, Lord. What's going to happen if you continually make the excuses of this flesh is that your heart will eventually grow cold to the passion that God placed in it. Your heart will grow cold to it. There have been people that I've read their biographies that said, I know when I was younger I was called to be a missionary. And after a while it just went away. You see, you can ignore the call of God on your life. You can ignore God so much. Will God still fulfill that through someone else? Yes. But did we give the opportunity to walk in the purpose and power of God?
to have a passion like we've never experienced on this earth before? Yes. By choosing to refuse, by choosing to give in to excuses, then saying, okay, God, here I am. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea how you're going to do this. I have no idea how you're going to fund this. But here I am. When you come to that point, all of a sudden you've given God a blank check to write in your life. Instead of saying, God, here I am, but I just can't have it go on the weekends. And God, here I am, I just, I don't want it to really, I don't want anybody to know about it because I could get ridiculed. And God, here I am because, you know, I'm about to get promoted at work. And unfortunately, this is the way the body of Christ is today. Powerless, passionless, and I believe that that time is coming that God's going to say, if my people will humble themselves and cry out to me, and I will hear them, and I will heal their land. As I told you, everything in our society is broken pretty much right now. Friday, we run out of money with the government officially unless something happens. Government will still go on. Don't worry about that. Your trash will still get picked up. That's pretty much the number one. Is my trash going to get picked up? Yes. But our welfare system is broken. Our society is becoming immoral. And maybe God's calling one of you to make a change in your school today. Maybe God is calling you to make a change in your workplace, in your family. Maybe your family has been in tribulation and trouble and arguing and he's calling you to be that peacemaker maybe he's calling you to be the Barnabas to go in as an encourager I think I'd rather take on Hollywood than some of your families okay I mean I'm just no offense but my God can do all things but it comes through a walking relationship with Jesus Christ Because doing it on your own will become just a physical passion. It will be very limited. Surrendering your heart to Christ, giving everything over to Him, is going to make this a spiritual passion in which you're tapping into the powers of heaven. And then all things are possible. The decision I want to lead you in today is a very simple prayer that will first start that relationship that relationship to make Jesus Christ not only your Savior, but your Lord. We are very good about making Him our Savior because we want life insurance. We're not as good about making Him our Lord because that means we have to follow His Lordship. That means we give up rights to the way we want to talk to people. And we start praying about it. God, how would you have me handle this situation? God, how would you like for me to respond? Lord, I really want to send this email. Can I? No? Okay. Delete. That's allowing God to become Lord of your life. And I'd like to lead everyone in a very simple prayer today. Because I don't know who's here and I don't know who's listening to this message over the web. But with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I'd like to lead you in a very simple prayer. The prayer is surrendering of yourself and acknowledging who God is. That God loved you so much that He sent the most valuable thing in heaven, which was His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross. 
And when he died on that cross, he died for your sins, for your sickness and your disease. He died for your anxiety. He died also for the confusion that we sometimes want to carry around in our lives. And when we look and lay everything at the foot of the cross, we realize that Jesus truly paid it all when he died on the cross and three days later rose from the grave with the keys of death. So this prayer today would be, God, there's some things in my life. Remember I was saying earlier in this sermon that when we confess some things, let's be very specific to God. And let's get rid of the junk that we've been covering up. Bad is not going to be the word that we're going to use in our prayer today. God, please forgive me. I have cheated. I have lied. I have stolen. I have torn down when I should have built up. I was disobedient, God. I was just outright disobedient. So as I'm leading you in this prayer... Would you be thinking about and confessing everything to get rid of what's been hindering you because sin will hinder your prayer life. Putting a rug over a sin in your life is not going to remove that sin. Confessing it and getting it removed. Would you all pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and I'm saved. Amen. If that's the very first time that you said that, welcome to the family of God. If you use today as a time to say, you know what, Pastor, there was just some junk I had to get rid of, then you're clean. God's about to do some really great things in the body of Christ. And He sent me to prepare you. And I feel kind of like Noah building the boat when they've never experienced rain before. Just think about that. But something great is about to happen. And I want everyone to be walking in their passion and their calling in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Because time is coming close. I'd like to speak a blessing over you as we close. I want to remind the women tomorrow night, Monday night, they'll be meeting at the Activity Center. Men, we need 15 of y'all to sign up to go have some fun bowling. We can do laser tag, pizza. It's a great deal good group of men see John before you go and I want to say thank you also for for your offerings and your support of this ministry we've had to make some decisions lately but they've been very conservative decisions and we don't want to affect our missions giving or any of our outreach giving but thank you for your support so may the Lord bless you and protect you may the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you And may the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. So go in His peace. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Thanks for coming out today.